Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, freelance writer and author, and I'm joined by Jamie Kemp, football editor at Opta Sports. Jamie, how are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not so bad. It's been a it's been a weird old month, really. Um, we were so positive in the last episode that it's sort of weird looking back at the results and seeing that we've uh, we've sort of dropped a few points here and there, and and often in games that it felt we weren't going to drop points. But I suppose that's how it goes. Obviously, the results have dropped off, but I never I never felt truly alarmed. Um, I'm not sure you can say that for the rest of the crowd on um, Tuesday night, though. It was just. It was pretty weird before kickoff. It felt like a massive game for some reason in terms of like our destiny. But it's, it's nice to get that out of the way back on the winning track. Yeah, and that I mean, it might be a good place to start with that game because it was it was such a different game to the the, the rest of the the season. Really, Leeds came out and looked quite deferential to, to West Brom I think um, because we've been so dominant in so many games so far this season I think a lot of the fans sort of saw us as being second best but would you would you agree with that assist, assessment or would you suggest that it's more to do with the fact that we were actually changing perhaps our approach to game management? Um, I think yeah you definitely saw um, differences in that West Brom game to pretty much any game we've played on the Bielsa especially that second half when we're on the back foot but when I was when I was there watching it, um, I, I did really think it showed the difference between when Forshaw and Hernandez don't play, the difference in uh, overall control that we can achieve in a game. And if those two are going to be out for a couple of weeks yet, then we're, we're going to have to grow into this style of playing with two natural wingers with uh, Costa and Harrison, which is something we've not really done at all under Bielsa. So it is very early uh, going in terms of that approach. Yeah, and I suppose as well we've got uh, Liam Cooper out, and this raises a question, I guess, about the the, the depth of our squad, which is always sort of hums away in the background, doesn't it? When when you think about Leeds United, but it does it does feel as though you know we're we're a couple of good players away from from being a very average side. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, going to Millwall on Saturday without Cooper is is pretty worrying, to be honest. Especially even our record and especially set piece record at, away at Millwall, so. 
in the in the short term, that's going to be a difficult game, um, just for the amount of balls that are going to come into our box without our best best defender in the air. But looking past that as well, being without Cooper for six weeks, as they said yesterday, is it's really the first big test of this squad and how how we're going to stand up without without the player who probably represents the biggest downgrade to the next player in his position, uh, going from Cooper to Berardi. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. Just running through the games in September then, it's weird because if we've got Barnsley, obviously we had a 2-0 two, two win at Barnsley with a couple of late goals um, and, and a penalty. Uh, then we had the, the, the weird game against Derby where we, we dominated for 70 minutes and then and then sort of fell away at the end and looked a little bit um, tired. looked as though we'd, we'd, we'd run out of steam a little bit, particularly in our high press. Then we had the Charlton game where, again, we sort of looked really good until we gave away a silly goal and then, and then we sort of laboured for the rest of the game. And then we had the game where we probably looked the least dominant and we won that 1-0. So it, it, it feels like it was a very underwhelming month um, for, for the Leeds fans. Another thing to note is that, I mean, I think the, the goal was the goal against West Brom was uh, attributed to Alioski, but I think it was clearly an own goal off Bartley. Uh, we didn't score in the game before that. The game before that was an own goal from Max Lowe, which means the last time we scored a, go- a goal really from open play was was uh, the Eddie Nketiah goal against Barnsley. The other goal in that game, obviously, was a Matthias Click penalty. So are you a little bit worried about us going forward? I know that this is the, the, the ongoing uh, argument that we have on the All Stats, aren't we? Twitter account is, is about X, XG versus AG, as, as they call it. Um, so what's your thoughts about that? Are you a little bit worried about us going forward? Slightly, yeah, just over these past five games. But I think starting from that that derby game, it was just one of the most bizarre Leeds games I've ever seen in terms of we we played so well. I was sat there for 70 minutes in the stand thinking this has been remarkably easy and derby don't look very good at all. We've created so many chances and somehow only scored one via an own goal. I think they got to that, that point after Click's penalty miss where they just looked around and thought, well, I can't believe we're still alive, but let, let's give it a go in this final part and see if we can actually sneak something. But I think the Charlton game was a bit was the most worrying game in terms of chance creation. Uh, but I think that was heavily influenced by that early goal, which just allowed them to just pack the defence, the width of the pitch, get all the midfielders packed in, close down space in the wide areas, with, which is our primary source of attack. Um, that that's the problem. If we concede first, then it, it allows the opposition to just just settle into that block. Which it doesn't matter how good how good you are in relative terms to your opposition. If, if a team can settle into to that block and the well drilled spaces are closed down, it, it's it's tough. It's tough against any opponent that can achieve that. So yeah, I think Charlton was the most worrying game in terms of chance creation, but. I think we produced about enough on Tuesday night, especially given we're adapting to this new team with with Cost in the starting lineup, and f- for the first time under Bielsa, not every attack is sort of centered around Hernandez roaming from that position and getting involved in the overall creation. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on psychology as well, because obviously psychology is such a, an important part of the game. Um, the problem is that when you are trying to analyse the, the game quantitatively like we are, it's very hard to talk about something like psychology because there's there's no way that we have of quantifying it. But as you've mentioned, that you know there's there, there have been some remarkable lapses of, of of concentration. There's been some remarkable um, drops off in in form, even during games when you've seen uh, certain certain things happen where where the the team just seems to be affected by. It. Obviously, the Mateus Click 
penalty miss against Derby is, is is up there, and it felt as though after that point, Leeds just sort of got into the mindset of, oh, here we go again. You know, we've we've given away games from this position before, and and it's just going to happen again. It's just not our it's just not our month or whatever. Um, what do you think about the the psychological side of things? Um, given given that that they do seem to we do seem to we we obviously have that hangover from last season where it felt as though it would, there were certain psychological issues there. Um, are you worried about the psychology? I am in in those games where we've 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 played well. We've generated enough to to be up on the scoreline by two two goals uh, at least. Then we get to that point in the sort of third quarter of the game where we're only up by a goal or we've not cashed in on the chances that we've generated despite playing well. And it it just it just feeds into that sense of we're we're just we're adopting a scattergun approach where we're just racking up shots. And it just gradually gets a bit more desperate with each with each attempt, and then you know the opposition looks around. They, they say we've been on the back foot all game, but somehow we're still alive at this point. So like we've got nothing to lose, let's go for it. And then there is a definite feeling around Ellen Road when it gets to that stage where you know the the crowd quietens down, it gets nervous, and you're almost just expecting that that awful slice of luck in our box where they'll they'll just scramble it in from some 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 type of position like Graben did or the way Routledge did for Swansea. So yeah. We've just got to keep playing as we are and eventually we are we are gonna cash in on the goals that we, we merit in most cases, yeah. Yeah, we should maybe jump into some of the questions here because obviously some of the questions um, touch on the the issues that we've talked about um, already. First one, I guess, let's get the conversion rate out of the way. So Joe Hill asks, do teams have a higher conversion rate against us than they do in other games or does it just seem like it if they do? Why? Uh, Josh Hobbs has run some of the data um, for our conversion rate from our opponents. Um, So he looked at box shots, uh, XG goals. Um, very notably, I think, you know, the Charlton, both the Derby, Charlton and uh, the Swansea game, um, all of the teams have pretty high conversion rates on their on their box shots. So Swansea um, had four box shots and got the one goal. Um, Derby had three box shots and, and the one goal and Charlton had two box shots and the one goal. So 25%, 33.33% and 50%. So in the games that we've, the games that we've uh, dropped points, We've uh, had a conversion. Our opponents have had a box shot conversion rate of thirty-three percent, so a third. One in three of those shots has gone in, which is particularly high. If you look at the games outside of that um, total, so box shots conversion rate for all of the games that we've had so far, it's down at eleven point nine zero. So we've had total forty-two box shots, which is very low for the league. I'm sure it's probably the lowest, um, and we've conceded five goals from that. But if you actually look at break it down from there, um, four of the goals have come from twelve box shots. So it's it's a, a little bit of a disappointing uh, conversion rate. But what, what's your thoughts on box shots? Because and the conversion rates against us. Because I know that you've done a lot of uh, you've run a lot of the data on that like, for our oppositions. I've just updated the numbers this morning um, on shots we've conceded in the box. Um, in this case, just from open play, and we're still we're still by far the lowest in the league. And in terms of goals that have come from those, we've we've only conceded a couple from open play from inside the box. The rest have been sort of scrambled set piece situations. So just just by the virtue of those numbers. I, th- I think we've got to wait a bit longer into the season before we, we can say it's a definite theme that we we give up too many goals from so few chances because the nature of our game is that the opposition just don't get many chances. So when when they do manage to score from that, it sort of gives the illusion that we're being we're, we're a bit of a soft touch in defence, but 
that's that's just the nature of how we play it. Most of our games, we're limiting the opposition to very few shots. Sometimes they can cash them in, like Derby did. They were on the back foot the whole game, and then they've scored from one right at the end. One single opportunity, which at the time is really frustrating, but I think we've got to wait a bit longer before it becomes an absolute theme of our game. And then obviously after that, sort of questions about XG and actual goals and um, whether or not um, the, the conceding a high percentage of the chances against us despite the XG indicates a mental switch off or nervousness, which we've, we've sort of touched on already. But how do you feel about the XG situation given that in every game Leeds have, have performed well enough according to most models? Now, obviously that mean, needs to be taken with a pinch of salt, but Leeds have played well enough in most games to justify winning every single game uh, on average. So how, how do you feel about the XG question? I think people have generally become a bit spooked by the XG stuff because of last season and the fact that we were we were the highest ranked team in the league in terms of XG created and XG ratio and in the end we didn't we didn't get what we maybe deserved but it really is just it's it's just a better way of us summing up the games rather than in terms of we had we had 20 20 shots they had six it just assigns a value to those chances so we can better sum up who created the better chances and who who limited the chances um so yeah i don't think um i don't think it's something that fans have to be worried about when we we do create a good amount of xg and don't come out with a win it's just a way of us quantifying the performance and it's not a case of us being this team who create chances at will but just have horrible conversion rates there's a, there's a lot of luck and noise involved involved in football, um, especially in the short term, given how close we are to the start of the season. That I think we need to look at last season and sort of remind ourselves that just because we didn't get what we deserved that time, despite performing very well on XG, over the long term, the chances of it coming back round in our favour this season are, are pretty high, I think. No, it's really interesting you say that. I'm just looking down again the, the the list of XG that we've conceded against opponents, and there's only been two games where we've conceded more than one XG, and uh, that was the Forest game, where obviously the 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 stats were slightly skewed by the fact, as we've said, that they that they had a sort of goal mouth scramble that involved a couple of shots. Um, the other one was against Barnsley, where we uncharacteristically gave away eleven, which is pretty much double of our double our. Uh, average box shots per game anyway so it's 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 remarkable how um how well we've defended this season i mean you're looking at us us having underperformed our xg conceded and having only conceded five goals so um it, it's clearly uh, very good i guess the the like you said that there is that worry that you know at the end of the day who cares about xg if we if we're constantly underperforming it um but like you say the we we, we do not have enough games of data to to really um, to really go off that so um, we, we're using it as a sort of heuristic device to suggest whether or not we're playing well enough to win games if we weren't doing that there would be something worrying and there'd be something that needed changing but um, the weird thing is is that when you are in that scenario where you're looking like you're going to win games or you should be winning games and you're not the the question is what do you do um, what more can you do than than create more and better chances than the opposition um, short of short of finishing and I guess that raises questions about uh, particularly Pat, Pat Bam- Bamford. Um, we ha- we've had a lot of questions for the radio show about how do you fit Bamford and um, and Ketia in the same team. We've had questions about whether or not we should just drop Bamford. But I think West Brom 
uh, the West Brom game gave us a really good sense of why it is that Bamford is in the team. Um, he did so much um, off the ball stuff. He did so much um, link up play. He did so much in the build up. So, um, what do you think about uh, the issues that that often we often get asked? You know, in terms of should we play Bamford? Should we play Nketiah? I agree with Bielsa when it comes to the issue of Bamford and Nketiah um, potentially playing together. I think if we started playing two strikers together, our, t- our chance creation as a team would suffer. Just because so much of it relies on build-up from, from deep. Um, and I, th- I think just, just taking a body away from uh, the midfield who can get on the ball and, and make things happen in place of somebody who's going to be stood in the box making runs to get on the end of crosses. I think that would just probably feed into probably what we saw at Charlton where we had, we had nothing central-wise. We just, we just couldn't get through there. There, there, was no, there was no sort of invention coming from a central area. So we just relied on working the ball wide, crossing balls into the box, hopefully. I think if you have two strikers in there, um, it would feed into that a lot more. Um, just just hopeful balls into the box. So I'm pretty happy with how it is at the moment. Um, but I'm sure there is going to come a time where Inketia will will start games at some point in the season. Probably not anytime soon because Bamford was really good against West Brom and he's he's sort of set a benchmark for what what he needs to be aiming for every game now. That that work rate off the ball, digging in, fighting against centre backs. If he can give us that. Um, most weeks for the rest of the season, then Eddie's going to have a tough job getting in the team. Let's move on to talk about what's changed recently with Pablo being off. Um, so Tom Harwood asks, uh, was wondering how our shape slash build-up play changed without Pablo against Charlton. Um, and he says, appreciate this, probably a different answer for both halves. But you've touched on this already. You know, we're now playing two classic wingers. Um, Pablo's been playing as a whatever you want to call it, a full seven, an inside forward. Um, he's been drifting inside um, and tracking back a lot. And that's 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 allowed us to have a quite... Uh, asymmetric formation um, whereby we can push down the, ro- the, the left hand side we can push our uh, Harrison up and, 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 and the wing back up on that side or the full back up on that side uh, and look to do the um, overload to isolate that we do where, where we do a lot of build up play on the right and then try and switch it quickly to the left uh, and, and plunder the space that's left by that uh, I, I had a look at the I had a look at the average position maps for the for the Charlton game and now I should say you know of course um, the way that these maps are made up of is usually based on touches so it doesn't really help you that much because you have no idea um, how they, they determine where the player is at any one time so um, given that Given that um, the the average pass map usually, sorry, the average uh, position map usually just indicates where the players roughly are um, when they're in possession of the ball. I thought it was quite interesting because we looked a lot more symmetrical, incidentally, which makes sense. We had um, we had Costa not quite so forward as uh, as Harrison, uh, but we also saw Dallas pushing a lot closer up to to Costa as well. No doubt, trying to close down the space that that um, Costa had left behind him, uh, and so we looked a lot more uh, symmetrical there i think we've seen what's what happens um when we play like that when when you look at the west brom game uh, the west brom game we just sort of seeded so much space in in the middle because we we left uh, calvin phillips for the most part to, to to track most of the central areas when they had possession uh, didn't look ideal we defended well incidentally we didn't give away huge amounts of of chances and looking at the xg for that it was it was only 0.7 from eight box shots and they re- barely took any shots outside of the box so 
Yeah, it's it's all well and good playing that way. I think when we have a sterling defence, um, a defensive um, uh, performance, but the problem will be that we are occasionally prone to the the sort of defensive uh, mix up, and so I'm sure it's only a, a matter of time if we keep playing like this, where we're just going to get cut apart by a team, uh, and then the questions will will start arising. So, in answer, my answer to the question would be that the the shape and the build up play um, did change without Pablo, and it just became as you've as you've mentioned, Jamie, um, a lot more wing focused and a lot more. Um, it it almost looked more counter attacking to me, especially in the second half of the of the the um the West Brom game um but yeah I'm interested to hear your talk, your thoughts on that is there anything you would add to, to what I've said there I'd agree with that there's, there's much more symmetry on the wings now it's pretty much a, an identical relationship between Alioski and Harrison and then Dallas and Costa on the other side um but I think what you did see against West Brom was how much more open the game was uh, and how how much more prone it was in terms of going end-to-end. Uh, that's also related to not just Hernandez missing, but for sure. I, I think the, the difference in terms of overall control um, before and after those two were in the starting 11 is, is pretty big at the moment. And I'm sure at times on Tuesday night, Bielsa was thinking, you know, this this is getting, this is verging on being a little bit out of control. Uh in terms of flying up and down compared to what seemed to be sort of the new wrinkle in our play at the start of the season, just that, you know, extreme control of the game where we're just squeezing the life out of the opposition. They can't get the ball off us and we're just we're just moving the ball around at will. Um so yeah, like like we said, it's it's really the first time under Bielsa that we've played with with two natural wingers. Um, so, so that's two games from forty something. So we are very early in in that sort of transition when it comes to to playing this way. So hopefully, you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get better and sharper at implementing this style of play. And it'll be interesting to see, especially away from home, where where there's probably gonna be more counter attacking opportunities if if Costa can really step up and provide, you know, the main driving threat in terms of in terms of midfield player, whereas Hernandez would have been the guy who gets on the ball and controls it. Maybe we can have a, a similarly potent weapon in, in Costa using his speed and direct style of play. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How do you think that Costa's played so far? I mean, there was a lot of people suggesting, and we've made a few wry comments about this on the on the All Stats on we Twitter feed about how Leeds fans seem to have get it into their head that the solutions to our problems are all lying at the feet of someone who's not played for a while. So obviously, Costa was was sort of hailed to a certain extent as a as a bit of a savior for us, but it's not really seemed that way, has it? No, I think Leeds fans have a weird thing of assuming that the guy who's not playing always has the answer to whatever we're doing on the pitch. So, yeah, you can understand it more so in the case of Costa, given the financial investment that we're going to make in him. But I thought he played well on Tuesday night, um, much better than he was at Charlton. Um, You could see flashes of that that Wolves, um, the ability he showed at Wolves in the Championship where he's just... He's dancing around defenders with quick feet and um, just doing things for a winger that we're just not really used to seeing at Leeds uh, in recent times. So there was definitely a pickup from the Charlton game where he was pretty quiet. Um, but I do think he's not strung 90-minute uh, performances together for quite a while now. So there's there's definitely a case of um, match sharpness and fitness that plays into this. I thought he looked pretty tired at the end of the West Brom game. Um just combining that those those long sprints and direct attacking play with with tracking back with a winger, which he had to do a lot in the second half. Those those are really good minutes in the bank for him, uh, fitness wise and conditioning. So I think as as he improves in that sense, we're going to see more from him quality wise and in terms of impact on the game. Yeah, and we've obviously got after the weekend we've got a um, an international break, which I think will do well for the team, particularly given that we've had a, had a couple of injuries. Um, a game against Millwall at the weekend. I suspect he won't having won't be having to do so much tracking back. So hopefully um, he'll 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 already be rest, resting up during that game. But another player who's been brought in is is Tyler Roberts. Um, we've got a question here from Runar Edvarsson. Compared to last season with size, Pablo and Roberts uh, as out and out number tens. Uh, are we now lacking skill to beat a man combined in a central area? Uh, and is that why we are forced wide to put crosses in? So um, I guess the the question the question here is obviously tactical. Um, but there's there's a sense in which Tyler Roberts being back now does raise questions about how um, the the number ten spot will be inhabited going on from here. Roberts definitely has a place in this team, and it's good to see him back, even though he got dragged off uh, on Tuesday night. Um, especially with Forshaw being out and Shackleton now, Rob, Roberts coming in as a ten can will allow us to put Click back into that box to box role that he played last season really well in. So that's that's a nice addition to the squad that we have. But in terms of the um, the approach, I, I looked up this morning um, our crosses per game this season versus last season, and it's pretty much almost identical uh, for both seasons. And so I'm not sure if there has been um, a shift towards us being being forced wise and putting crosses in. Maybe that was just um, maybe that was after the Charlton game where that was a big theme, and maybe we've we've sort of assumed that that is that's what's been happening over a longer period. But I don't think it has really. Um, when we get Pablo and Roberts back, I think we've got enough creativity in that central area to to solve any any real issues that we have. But um, yeah, I, I think we're going to be okay. 
In terms of in terms of the crossing, I mean, again, Josh Hobbs has, has run some of the data on the crossing, and we have an embarrassingly low cross success rate compared to the rest of the, the league. How do you feel about the that aspect of our game? Because obviously we've we've mentioned it before. Um, we saw it last season with Wigan. It feels as though sometimes we get into this sort of metronomic habit of just trying to get wide, not having space to, to really do what we like to do, which is get in behind and, and move the ball around. And so we, we sort of led led to sort of passing around in threes and, and, and getting the ball to one of usually Alioski or Douglas on one side, Dallas or, or Pablo on the other, and then just flinging the ball in. And, and that's obviously not been the, the most productive approach for us. Um, I'm, I'm wondering whether, I mean, and Bielsa has mentioned this in press conferences, saying that he he does get frustrated that that we we do sort of take the lazy option sometimes, and and we 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 just get the ball in rather than trying to trying to work the space. But how do you how do you feel about the crossing um, game? Obviously, it's it's been so poor this season that we haven't really um, uh, plundered anything from it. So is it just a case that we keep going with it and eventually it will come good, or is there is there some more structural problem at the back uh, behind it? I, th- I think um, in our worst moments, when we get a bit bogged down in games and, and we're we're on the hunt for a goal, we we can we can be guilty of falling into that just working the ball wide. These these similar movements that we work on so often. I think the downside of that is sometimes we just we fall into that motion of play too often, and we we sort of struggle to deviate from the plan, sort of as as it's in motion. So if the ball goes wide to Harrison and he beats his man, maybe for a, a split second or so, there's a shooting opportunity there. But but we're so embedded in working the ball wide and trying to generate the perfect chance for a cutback or cross across uh, across the box that maybe there's just not enough not enough inspiration on the part of uh, some of our attacking players. I think Harrison is probably the most guilty of that. Where say he gets the ball wide and goes past the man, um, he's probably less likely to to try and go himself than than to than to just feed a standard ball into the box. Uh, so I think that's something where Costa might might help us and, and stand out as he gets more games just getting the ball and being able to make something happen just through his individual ability rather than always having to sort of fund the needs of the team uh, in terms of creating an attack. We've got a couple of questions about game management plan Bs. Um, so Barney asks, I'd like to know your thoughts on game, game management this season. We seem to press less uh, this season in games and Bielsa is changing the formations throughout the games too. Uh, West Brom was particularly interesting where we seem to sit back uh, and Kieran says the value of last night's game, which is the West Brom game, and how the counter-attack might be a decent plan B for future matches. And I know we've talked about it before, um, that Bielsa's system sort of works quite nicely because you can tweak the system from within uh, and do different things within that system. Um, and again, I would say, I would suggest that is 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 sitting deeper and absorbing pressure um, a plan B, or is it is it simply playing our system but with a mid block rather than a high press? Um, so again, Jamie, interested in your thoughts on this. Um, what do you think? Do you think that Bielsa is maybe being a little bit more flexible this time round, or is it simply the case that he now feels a bit more confident in his players that he can change the system up so that um, he he doesn't feel the need to to sort of adopt that that sort of standard approach that we had last season. I think there has been a touch more pragmatism this season, just in terms of sort of late personnel changes and system changes, um, just to just to be a bit more secure in the latter parts of games. Um, I think on Tuesday night that was probably more, it was probably more influenced by the play of West Brom and just seeing how sharp they were going forward. That definitely in that for most of the second half, but probably the final half hour we were 
were sat back as as much as you've ever seen under Bielsa, really. But f- from watching him on the touchline, you could you could see that was it was probably not his his preferred way of seeing the game out because he he was up he was up out of his um off of his bucket and constantly screaming at the defense to get up the pitch. Um, so I, I don't think with Bielsa you're ever going to see him willingly move towards soaking up pressure and counter-attacking but perhaps in the later part of games especially against good teams where it just makes sense to not not be as open in your attacking play because West Brom teams like that have got great attacking players you saw Pereira Dean Garner they really ask you a lot of questions uh, at the back so maybe it's a case of Bielsa just becoming a bit more not wise because he's he's already the wisest man in the world but um just just a bit more aware of what can happen in the championship. And I think especially with, with Forshaw out, we've, we've mentioned Forshaw in terms of control a lot. And um, yeah, with Forshaw and Pablo out, that changed the, it just changed the system so much that it was only inevitable that we were going to have to have a different approach to, to the games. Uh, one more question and then we'll start looking at the uh, next month and the league more generally. Um, just a question from Chris Wilkinson. Uh, he asked for a review on the pitch contribution of Alioski. Is he underrated and overlooked? Um, I'll leave that one to you to answer. Yeah, he's, he's he's a really confusing player for me at times to 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 sum up because his decision making is it has been generally quite bad for, for most of his career uh, at Leeds. Um, so he does frustrate me a lot, but he has he has sort of weird intangible parts to his game that really benefit us in a way that you can't always see. Just just the energy and his his scrappiness in duels. The fact that he's still flying up the pitch in the 90th minute, putting so much pressure on opposing fullbacks. So he's a really strange sort of style of left back. Um, but it is proven to be quite effective at the moment. And I would say that I think Douglas has looked pretty pretty short of confidence uh, when he's when he's come on recently. Um, just struggling to adapt to the the speed of the game. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether he's sort of. Um, conscious about his recent injuries or he's just lacking sharpness but I think Alioski is deserves to be the first choice option at the moment yeah I would agree with that entirely it's um I suppose so much of it comes down to his off the ball movement his his ability to press high his ability to track back um and it's really it's really become obvious I think that um he offers something that is different to to Douglas but uh, something that actually in the last few games has been has been quite important um let's Talk a little bit about the uh, about the league table. Obviously, um, Leeds are second as things stand, just a point behind Swansea City. Uh, we keep saying that Swansea City's XG is going to catch up with them, and it doesn't. But well, still, early days yet. Still, ten ten games in, so uh, still about four times as many games to come. Really, um, just a bit less than that. Uh, looking at the top five: Swansea, Leeds, West Brom, Nottingham Forest, and Fulham. Are these the teams who are going to be in, in involved in the automatic promotion places? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's just just in the last few games or so it started to take on a bit of shape in terms of how it will project long term. Um, seeing West Brom first and on Tuesday night, they're definitely a strong team who are going to be up there. And I think I think Swansea, West Brom, Forest, Fulham are sort of in a in a pool of teams where you 
they've they've got a a pretty strong sort of base level of performance which is not fluctuating week to week like you said Swansea maybe they're outperforming at the moment um but I think from this group will emerge the real automatic contenders and I, I still think looking statistic statistically in terms of control on games and creating chances and limiting them we're still in sort of a tier on our own and then I think underneath you'd have West Brom and F- uh, Fulham just because of their attacking ability um, and then I think Forest and Swansea just in a, a slightly lower tier where they've I think they've still got a bit to prove in terms of real uh, automatic contention but I always look now for the teams who are sort of most consistent going forward and creating chances of, of high quality I think that was the pattern last year you saw Norwich and Sheffield United emerge um, as the top teams just just because they had they weren't a team that can you know just just survive and rely on defending and keeping clean sheets so two proactive teams that always went always went to win and I think that's just how the championship is now the teams that that really go to win and focus on attacking football are the ones who profit in the end yeah I've got a friend who's developing um, a sort of a fair league table uh, as he calls it which is based on xg and then simulating games against uh, other teams based on the strength um, that, that's accrued from that and Leeds he's got Leeds first 23.4 points then Fulham 18.1 Preston North End surprisingly performing quite well uh, they're up at third at 17.5 uh, projected points then you've got West Brom Brentford Forest Wednesday Reading you've got to go down to 13th place before you get to Swansea City interestingly enough so um Obviously, we've we've already said it's early days yet, and a lot of this um, projection stuff is 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 tough to do, particularly in when it comes to XG in in leagues where there is um, a big quality discrepancy. It's very hard to to make anything any sort of predictive, um, and say anything predictive about the data. But it, it does look as though Leeds are are on course to do pretty well this season, and and if they can shake off their their woes from September then um, I'm, I'm sure that they, they will kick on and do that but really interesting to see how it's going to unfold behind that uh, looking forward to the fixtures for next month so I technically the West Brom game was in was in October um, we lumped it in with the with the last lot because otherwise there was only going to be three games for us to cover so the games that we'll be looking at next in the next episode we've got a really interesting month month actually because it feels as though like two two um, decent teams and then two bogey teams for me that's how it feels so Millwall on Saturday Millwall away um, I can see that I can see that one going uh, not in our favour um, I was chatting to um, Mark Thompson uh, the other day and he's he's got some data that he's gonna he's coming on our radio show on Friday he's got some data about Leeds's performances in London uh, which is uh, Leeds's performances in London are actually historically terrible in the last uh, five ten years so um, that's something to look forward to at the weekend um, then we've got Birmingham again another team who seem to have been a bit of a bogey team for us in in recent seasons um, and then Preston who we've just said um, proje- projecting quite high up the table and doing quite well and then Sheffield Wednesday as well who've been fairly good this season too so looks like quite a tough tough month for me um, how are you feeling about it? It's one of those where the fans, the Leeds fans will look at the table and think, oh, Birmingham 14th place, should be good value for a win today. But stylistically, I would say Birmingham, Millwall and Wednesday are three classic teams who are, who are capable of basically doing a Charlton against us, having th- roughly 30, 30% possession, maybe profiting from a set piece or scrambling one in from, you know, five, six shots in the whole game. So 
historically under Bielsa, the, these are the types of games where we, we have struggled the most. So it'll be a big test to see maybe if we learned any lessons from last season uh, in terms of approaching the, these types of games. But yeah, it's a very tough month in store, I think, if you can look beyond the league table. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's um, it's one of those months where I think the, it's because the expectations will be so high for us to come away with points. Um, and I, I, I would be surprised if we... We picked up 12, ga- uh, 12 points here from four games, but we live in hope, and you know we've had we've had a bit of a, a naff run. So hopefully the 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 luck is going to run in our way a little bit more in these in these games. So hopefully when we when we chat again in uh, the end of October, um, we will have a lot more positive stuff to say, and hopefully we'll be at the top of the table. Just some housekeeping keeping stuff before we finish. Um, again, if you like our content, we have various ways that you can get hold of it. We have a Twitter feed. We have a Medium blog um, with a few pieces on there. Um, Josh Hobbs puts a, a lot of stuff up there, um, usually touching on the, 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 the data behind a lot of the questions that you guys have. Um, if you are worried about missing the stuff that we're putting out, then the best way to, to remedy that is to sign up to our Substack newsletter, um, which is allstatsaren'twe.substack.com. Uh, that's just a newsletter where we send anything that we put out on any of our feeds um, just straight into your email inbox. Um, so uh, that's a good way of keeping up with, with information. And finally, Love Sport Radio Show. We have a Love Sport Radio Show which goes out every Friday night between 8pm and 9pm, and that can be listened to on Digital Radio Online or mobile and smart speaker um, and if you want to find out more about that the website is www.lovesportradio.com forward slash radio player uh, and that's the best way of getting, getting hold of that so nothing remains but for me to thank you Jamie for coming on um, hope you have a good month hope you enjoy the football and, and we'll be back again uh, in at the end of October cheers mate When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.